Welcome to the last episode of the season of Too Many Cults. We're talking about the last episode of Shiny Happy People Family Duggar Family Secrets. Um, this is again a crossover episode between the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast and the Holy Ghosting podcast. I'm Crispin Mayfield from the Prophetic Imagination Station. And I'm Lindsay Stranigan from the Holy Ghosting Podcast and the sister-in-law of Crispin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the connection. Just in case you haven't been listening to all the episodes, realize that we are related by marriage, but we've been in each other's lives a really long time yeah, now. So. Right. Yeah, last time when you were talking about um, you know liking to have a little bit of power, I was going to be like, yeah, I've known you for uh, how many years? Like 17 years now? Yeah, a long time. <laughs> and it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Some things, you know, it's just the way I am. Um, so throughout this season, we've tried to be pretty clear about content warnings and trigger warnings. Um, basically, there's a little section in this episode that is not about uh, sexual abuse or child pornography. Um, it's just woven throughout. The last little bit is going to be talking about like survivors who've been able to leave the cult of IBLP and the hope. And so you can look in the show notes to see like when we're finished talking about the triggering stuff and talking about that, it'll be towards the end of the episode. But other than that, I feel like uh, we're going to just mostly be talking about things that are really upsetting. Yeah, and traumatizing. There'll, there'll be a small section in the middle where we talk about some of the uh, culture war stuff. There's the Joshua Generation movement and sort of the, the the long game plan that evangelicals have. But honestly, like this episode focuses a lot on the charges against Josh Duggar, specifically the child pornography charges that landed him in jail. And so we're going to have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to give you all a heads up on that. We've tried to um, tried to like section it off in the past um, in a. In in a way, but uh, doesn't work so well when this is what most of the episode is about. But shall we just jump in? Yeah, let's. Uh, can't wait. This is a <laughs> like this is one of those topics where it's hard to know how to even start to talk about it. They, I mean, the the docu series does a really good job. They jump it. You know, they they do interviews with people um, from across the board, but they start off with the accusations levied against Josh Duggar. And this is the second set of accusations. So he had been accused when he was younger of abusing uh, many underage girls, including four of his sisters. And that was all kind of covered up. He was sent away for a little bit to an IBLP camp and then came back home and nothing changed and no, no safeguards were put in place. And then... So these accusations come out after he is married, and I'm not totally sure how many children of his own he has at this point. They don't really Mm -hmm. focus on Josh's family. It's just him, which honestly is probably for the best. And they get into some things about, you know, it was at like one of his businesses that he owned. I'm not going to really get into the details. One of the things that I thought was interesting was that he had this Covenant Eyes software installed on his computer which maybe as a woman I was like oh I guess I knew that this stuff existed are you familiar with covenant oh, uh-huh, eyes okay yeah, I assume yeah. so yeah right so it's yes tell, tell me more what is yeah, covenant I eyes mean, and there's like there's like triple x church there are lots of like different softwares that basically monitor your web activity um, and the idea being that if you're like alright like I don't want to keep looking at porn um, and I want some support around it, that there's some accountability there. It gets sent to someone else. It's used in a lot of different ways in different contexts. Josh had it on his computer, but basically like Josh was like savvy enough to be able to just bypass that really easily. 
Yeah, but I'm sure it was like a thing for him to be like, so you know, have this, like tell people, mm-hmm. brag to people they have the software. So they get right into the trial and there's a lot of um, chatting with um, Jim and Bobby Holt. Yes. In this episode, Bobby being the wife, uh, fun fact that I found out since the show, I just feel like it's good to know going into it that mm-hmm. she has since uh, filed a restraining order against her husband. In these interviews, they're like holding hands and are a united front. But I believe her and her son are estranged from Jim at this point, which mm. knowing what I know about IBLP and the patriarchy and all that, it, it doesn't totally surprise me, even though they seem to be on the same page in these interviews. Mm-hmm. But Bobby talks about she takes the stand and she testifies against Josh. Right, yeah. And basically what was really significant is what we talked about a couple of episodes ago where um, she says, yeah, everybody knew that Josh had abused his sisters, that there had been been these allegations, that they'd gone to the police. Like, everyone knew this, but nobody did anything. So she was, you know, throwing everyone under the bus, as they should be. Uh, what bothered me, this isn't a criticism of Bobby. This is a criticism of evangelical culture that enables abuse, is she said, I have to stand before God. I have to do, God is going to judge me, so I'm going to tell the truth which is different than girls have been abused and I'm going to speak the truth for their sake. Like that just really like bothered me Uh, again, not like her personally. I think what she did, like it's clear that it came at a cost. Um, But in these circles, things get framed that way. It's like, well, it's between you and God and it's not actually about the victim. So that was like, I think really upsetting to me. Um, And the other piece too, is they were talking about like, you know, I'm sad about losing the friendship. They seem so nice, which again are like normal responses. But um, I think the other thing that really stood out to me, which I think I saw this online, someone said this, that once they um, once they took the stand and they were believed and they talked about it, they were like, we were so glad it was finally out in the open. And I saw someone online saying like, but you are adults. Like you could have done something at any point along the way. Like, like Jim Holt says, like, I realized afterward that the police officer that we went to was Jim Bob's friend. Well, at that point you could contact someone else. An outside agency. Exactly. Right. And so I think that really also bothered me was this idea of like, they were sort of like, yeah, we, we are glad that it finally went through. We knew this was a problem for a long time. We're so relieved and sort of like, they were sort of like putting themselves as a victims as well Mm. rather than actual adults that also had their own agency whereas jill did not you know jill was was a kid um so yeah i had had some big feelings about their interviews with jim and bobby Uh, that that completely makes sense and it feels like they just felt like they dodged a bullet because their daughter was supposed to marry josh Mm -hmm. and that didn't happen and i'm sure they are very very grateful for that and in some ways they probably wanted to believe that josh was fixed and better and they didn't hear any more about you know i think that the Mm -hmm. way that christians do things is we just we kind of shut our brains off right you just think you trust you trust god right they prayed over it and like now in hindsight it's like now when the new charges come out they're like oh right like all those things they did so yeah it's just it's such a mess and i'm sure that they're taught not to question anything and i'm glad bobby said something when she did but you're totally right like my thought was like when she said like and nobody did anything like you you could have 
done something. And I know you guys felt like you did. You did make them go to the police and that didn't go well, but it feels like, so, and you just quit after that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when nothing came of it, then you just decided everything was fine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so then we get into, uh, Jim Bob is asked, uh, Mm. about these these things because after so Bobby throws everyone under the bus and basically says everybody knew that Josh had done this Mm -hmm. so then Jim Bob is questioned about it and he just keeps saying that he didn't recall yeah like the judge would ask him a pointed question like look at these like police documents do you remember this conversation and he's like I don't know I forget and it's and it's like you don't remember your own child's abuse and i just wrote in parentheses because girls don't fucking matter Mm -hmm. uh there's that but also because he's a slimy snake and he doesn't want to admit that he did anything wrong but yeah they eventually just stopped bringing him up to the stand i think they said because he the the judge ordered him out the judge was pissed they they the judge made him leave because i i guess it was just so such a frustrating conversation and that was yeah really striking um this is uh this is a pattern. I don't know why it, it why it's a pattern. Sometimes parents will show up for their kids um, and and be enraged as they should when abuse happens. But when it happens within a family context, more likely than not, um, the experience is like, well, we're going to keep the peace. Like, we're not going to actually, we're not going to actually address this. And so, like, we totally saw that with Jim Bob. It is infuriating. Um, it made me just so mad to think about this piece of like, it's, it's not like his, not like this would, should change it, but it's not like his son was abusing someone else. His son was abusing his own daughters. And yet he has just like, like chosen to forget it. Like has just like disconnected from that memory, which is really upsetting. And at that same time, I don't know if we want to go there, runs for office. Yeah. Let's go there. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and so in the middle of this trial, his eldest son being on trial for, like, super serious child pornography charges, uh, he runs for state senate. Uh, And he's just leaning into, like, the culture wars and... Just going for it. That feels like it's funny because he doesn't, again, the series doesn't concentrate on him that much. And so we don't get a lot of like audio bits from him and like even ranting about politics or what have you. But I was like, that ego, like the the thought of like, this is a good time for me to be in mm-hmm. the public, even more in the public eye is the, the hubris, the... Right. The narcissism yeah. question mark. Well, and they, they talk about this framework of like Josh is being um, accused of this because Satan is attacking us. Mm-hmm. Um, he blames Biden for the trial, right? Like says like it's these liberal judges, um, which I, last time I mentioned Joshua Deese, who's, uh, men, who's interviewed for this as an expert in several places for the prophetic imagination station. We talked to him uh, a few years ago about This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, which is this novel in the 80s, you know, evangelical media sort of thing. It was my favorite. I was obsessed. I Uh thought there were demons everywhere. And one of the things is there are multiple women that accuse 
leaders, pastors, or like good Christian men of sexual abuse. And it is because they are possessed by demons. demons. Yeah. Only demons. Like when, when a woman's going to accuse a man of sexual abuse, mm-hmm. the theme is it's demons, which is buck wild. And I, when like, when I listened to you guys go through that, cause I, again, that book was my favorite when mm-hmm. I was younger. And so realizing those things, those messages, I mean, then we read them when we were young, like mm-hmm. it's, it was just hilarious. Cause I wasn't allowed to watch anything scary. And those books were scary. Mm-hmm. I thought they were, I thought they were terrifying. And then they also just had really problematic messaging. So yeah. really, right. Really. And this is like, just such a con, like such a common refrain. This was, um, in my own abuse story of bringing it out, that was what I was told is the person that abused me said like the, you Satan is using you to tear me down. Cause God is trying to like use me. Like this is just such a really fucked up common refrain, uh, that we see over and over. And it, I think what's wild about it is like from the outside, you're like, this is so messed up. And just to have the gall to like literally run for state office. It's not like I'm going to keep like, you know, teaching Sunday school at church. It right. is like I on this public level, like I am going to like put myself out there because I think this is what God is calling me to do. And any opposition is just uh, Satan trying to like, tear, trying to, you know, trying work to bring against him God. It's all that, that persecution narrative. It's that, that suffering. It's all for the greater good. And so the next section really gets into like, there is always a bigger agenda and they like evangelicals it, in or specifically evangelicals are playing the long game. It's mm-hmm. all of that's why you're having so many children. That's like we are trying to change the world. And by we, I mean them, not me. <laughs> not <laughs> not in that way anyways. I'm trying to change the world but not in the way that old old uh, Jim Bob is. Um but they get into something I wasn't super familiar with, which is the Joshua Generation movement, which is basically which is funny. I wasn't super familiar with it, but then also I feel like, oh yeah, I was kind of, I wasn't fully part of it, but like I was part of like a homeschool. I mean, I was always told we're smarter than other kids. We, you know, we could do anything. I mean, I was told I could be the president someday. Like mm-hmm. everyone around me believed in me and I did learn really well in a homeschool environment. That was based on me and my right. <laughs> not not anything else, but this is all about the so Joshua Generation movement is homeschool teenagers and it takes the best and the brightest and they want them to assume positions of influence and power. We are going to be judges. We are going to be presidents. We are going to be politicians. And then it seemed like the coup de grace was Supreme Court justices. And a lot of them end up clerking for justices. Again, I wasn't like quite this dialed in, like we were a little bit more loosey goosey about our homeschool, but it was, I mean, we were told we needed to go change the world for God. And if you were, it's funny because my sisters were told to be missionaries and I was told to be like a lawyer president. Like, I think Mm. they pick the ones who are like, you're good at like arguing or whatever. The Enneagram three achievement oriented. Classic Enneagram three over here. It's like, you can use those, crazy negotiation skills that you have for the Lord. Right. So that's what I was told to do. So I'm kind of glad I wasn't aware that I wasn't like, I can see an alternate timeline in which I am like a, you know, young Republican. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish someone would do like a, a Joshua generation version of Veep. Uh, that would be, <laughs> can someone please write and produce someone that? Someone please make that show. Um, oh. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of wild. You're talking about like, you know, that separate, that those diverging paths of like missionary or like politics. But let me tell you, they converged on my timeline, not me personally, but my dad and my uncle were both missionaries in China and they would do things like they would like set up meetings with like the governor of like our province, like to tell them about Jesus. Cause the idea was, I mean, it was just the, the like white nationalism, uh, like white Christian nationalism playbook of the U S but applied to China where it's like, if we can get the people in power, like, you know, they worked at like the, like one of the most expensive, uh, p- like private schools for like, you know, the next generation of kids and like, how can we evangelize them so that then they will become Christians and then they will hold power in this nation. So it's kind of wild to be like, Oh yeah, no matter where the country, like it's the same playbook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like they're all reading from the same psycho book. It uh, also <laughs> they kind of are all, right, and also this like this idea of worldview, like that is like such a word like of my upbringing, right? Having your worldview meant you could go into the world and you could argue and you could hold power and you could, you know, convince people to see things the way that you wanted, which is another way of just saying like you were you were trained to try to fight for, you know, quote unquote, traditional family values. Right. And for example, like things like, you know, you're being trained to be homophobic and be able to like. Uh, be able to argue for that, which is like literally what these kids went on and did in these public, like in these, uh, you know, in these political spaces. Yeah, it was. I mean, I remember living like in a small town in Wyoming and like a big thing in that town is interesting. I remember my dad, who was a pastor, teamed up with a lot of like Mormons to like meet with the school board and they were like vying for abstinence only sex education. And it was interesting because normally we like demonize the Mormons, but like they were very helpful to that. Like they also are very conservative in their like traditional family values. And so it's, it's that idea of like use whatever you can to further the Mm -hmm. message. Right. And same thing, this positions of power and we need to be over what's being taught in schools and we need to meet with like the leaders of the town and yeah, it just about whatever it is, right? Like it's, there's so many different points and it feels like different people in evangelicals and they'll camp out on whatever, whether abortion's the issue currently everyone's issue seems to be bullying trans children. I'd love that to, they'll pick whatever their issue is and send out all these, their homeschooled militias to try to assume positions of power. And I, I guess I just didn't think about how, um, I mean, I've always said that Republicans are much better at playing this game than Democrats are. Like they are very, they understand how power dynamics work and they know how to like wield their money and their power and insert themselves like by any means necessary, you know, like the gerrymandering, all of these things. It's, and then when you see it playing out, you realize like, this is a thing that they are planned. This is very, well thought out and it's frankly a little bit terrifying and I'm not saying that like I want maybe our side to do that but maybe be a little bit more strategic (laughs) like if we can stop nitpicking each other to death for like half a second and get our shit together and like find a better presidential candidate than Joe Biden that'd be great Mm -hmm. that's my two cents sorry that was a little bit of a ramble (laughs) I've thought about this before that for like more progressive folks like there are all these different ideas of like how to be progressive or how progressive to be but if you're on the side of like we all want it to just go back to the 50s like it's easier to like have a rallying cry yeah yeah 
Um, uh, then they start to get into sort of like what the future is of this kind of messaging, like what maybe the Joshua generation looks like now. And that's with like Christian influencers and which I loathe. I have a just I don't see a lot of it. Thankfully, the algorithms know me well enough to know that that is, you know, not my although I think that the algorithm gets confused because of like the research that I'll do for the podcast and stuff. Uh It's always like, what are you? But for the most part on my TikTok, I'll see like some of these really intense conservative, but it's always like being stitched by someone who's like calling them out on it. Right. So I don't see a lot of these. It's just so sad. They were like interviewing this very young, seemingly hip guy. You know, they're not in the Duggar dresses. Like they look normal. Like I think the girl has a tattoo, but then she's like railing against, you know, using they, them pronouns and how you need to pick one and how she's, you know, they're like talking, like kind of being funny about the word submit. Right. She was like, Ooh, submit. Like people are afraid of that word, but yeah, I'm supposed to submit to my husband. Right. And I, I choose just, to do it. Yeah. Because this is like my act of love towards him. And I was like, I remember even though I was pretty thick in the in evangelicalism, when I got married and my evangelical father married us, I remember I sat him down because I was like, there will be no verses about submitting in my wedding. I was like, no mention, like, this is an equal marriage. I mean, from the get-go, my dad was cool with that. He was like, okay. I was like, I'm serious. I will freak out if submitting is put in my wedding. <laughs> so I was not cut out to be a conservative Christian influencer, but it is there are a lot of them. And I mean, there's a lot of people speaking out too, but I just thought it was interesting that these beliefs are still being perpetuated. There's these huge communities forming around these very patriarchal, like defer to the dude and God will bless you and everything will be lovely. Yeah. And I think what was so upsetting about that clip when she's talking about submit is sort of this like acknowledgement of like, okay, I know that sounds bad, but let me explain Right, which is like I think just really upsetting because that is that is a lot of what I hear from people that get swept into that is like, oh yeah, at the beginning I thought it was bad, but like someone explained it to me, and it's like, no, just stick with your first gut reaction. It is bad. Yeah, and uh, clearly we're not getting as a culture, especially evangelicals, are not getting away from this. You know, if you've been following the SBC, like they officially what was the decision this week? They officially decided not to allow women pastors or they're kicking out any churches that currently have women in leadership positions. They were like, they weren't necessarily allowing it, but they're drawing an even harder line in the sand, which sucks. Yeah. I think something we've talked about over and over again is like, oh, like we thought that this was just the eighties or whatever. Right. And just recognizing like it just continues to, to go on. Um, and it's really upsetting. They just market it a slightly different way. You know, it's like, what is the expression of putting lipstick on a pig? Like that shit still stinks. Like it's just as toxic, even if it's coming from a snappy little gal with a tattoo, like Mm -hmm. she's still like, under the umbrella of this bullshit authority. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a problem. Right. Which then they tie into like, this is how, you know, you have something like this where Josh is, uh, you know, is tra- actually, you know, it shows that he was actually charged, right? He was charged for possession of child pornography and his wife, Anna, stays with him. And it makes sense in this context of, like, you have to submit to your husband. Well, yeah. And again, going back to, like, the resources and how, you know, like, she wasn't given a proper education. She was homeschooled. No college. Her husband was chosen 
for her and it's her duty to please him. And she has how many kids with him? Like, how is this woman? I don't even know how she's going to buy with him in prison, but like, yeah, it's not easy for her to leave. She, and she has been indoctrinated and brainwashed her entire life that this is her duty to serve him and to stand by him. And that like, God will reward her for doing so. And I'm sure she just believes it's Satan trying to tear him down, you know? And that's what is really sad. I, you know, I, I don't know if she thought about leaving, but it, I'm sure that the path is incredibly difficult. And if she wanted to, it would not. Yeah. It would not be easy. So yeah, right. I mean, some of the teachings that they talked about um, from the from the Duggars um, and from Jim Bob was loyalty is proven through adversity. So when bad things happen, it's a chance to prove your loyalty, um, and uh, be willing to love your spouse even when it hurts. It just prepares. Uh, prepares women to undergo abuse and know that like, nope, your automatic reaction is not to trust your own experience or gut or protect yourself, but to love them in the face of being hurt. Yeah. And I think that I was thinking a bit about like the term of like unconditional love and what that means to people. And I think people throw that around in relationships a lot. Uh, there was, I've been watching the queer ultimatum and there's like this really <laughs> toxic couple. And this one woman who's like straight up abusive is demanding of her partner. She's demanding unconditional love of her partner. And, and it's, you can totally tell it's like, you have to love me. Like, no matter what I do is what she's asking, mm-hmm. which is not like uh, love shouldn't be without boundaries. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if if that person is harming you, you are allowed to speak up for that. Like unconditional love doesn't mean accepting whatever bullshit someone throws your way. Mm-hmm. And I think that this idea that we're just supposed to take it and stick with it. And also, I think, too, that especially in Christianity, that anyone can be redeemed. And that whole, the redemptive arc and doesn't matter how bad they were, God can save them. I'm like, I remember talking to someone like very dear and close to me that was in a horribly abusive relationship. And it was like, well, maybe, sure, maybe God can redeem your ex, but it doesn't have to be with you. You know, like I I do want to believe in healing for everybody, but also like you don't have to stick around for that and you don't need to take any more of it. And just the fact that this is, and mind you, this person was very near and dear to me was in YWAM, met this person in YWAM and stuck with this person for way too long. And because of the the messages that evangelicalism, like these people were prophesied over, you know, she believed that they were meant to be together and that God was going to redeem it and took her a really long time to get out of a really bad situation. And yeah, it's just time and time again, it feels, it feels like we're saying the same things over and over because this happens over and over in evangelicalism and the Duggars are such a prime example of like how this happens like they really the the docuseries does a good job of just showing us like the groundwork like they just put so many pieces in place that allow for like absolute unchecked power and abuse of people that have just been like had their own will just beaten out of them over and over and it's it's really depressing and also there is a little bit of hope there when I see the people that are getting out and that are talking and we'll get to that. I promise we'll get through the horrible stuff. (laughs) One thing that I really appreciated from one of the survivors um, who shares her own story of getting out. um, But she says like, when you're in it, she's like, we all know that if Anna Duggar was like, I'm leaving him, that there would be so much, there's so much support for her in the world. Right. Um, but when you're in it, you can't see that. You don't know that that exists. 
Um, and I just really appreciated that like insight. Um, because yeah, it's like, it makes so much sense. And really like it, when it comes to, this is where, uh, spiritual abuse and domestic violence, um, like come together where it's like, if, if leaving means that you are cut off from your community, your finances, your church, your God, like all these things, right. In theory, like, that's what it feels like. I'm not saying that you would be, but that's what it feels like. And so it's so hard to take that step. Well, and so many of their survivors say it comes at great personal cost to them. They did lose a relationship with their families. And I think also when you're in it and when you love your family or you think that you love your family, it's very hard to step back and, I think a lot of the conversations that we and you guys are having on podcast is sort of redefining what is our relationship with our with our parents, what the people that we were raised with, uh, our family, our entire family. Because these people, like, yes, we love them because we were raised to love them. But like, some of us have had to make boundaries really strict, whether it be no, you know, I have contact with my family and you don't with yours, and that is the healthiest choice for you, you know? And I think that that's, people didn't really get into that in this, but I was interested in hearing that people saying that, like, I don't really know what the Duggars, what the, they didn't get into, you know, like it, obviously some of those relationships are fractured. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if they, they do speak or what that, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jill, uh, says, right. That she, Sounds like Jill doesn't have contact right now. Okay. Is, am I hearing that right? Or was she just saying, like, we just hear about things from the press because they don't tell us? I'm not sure what. Yeah, she didn't full on say, like, we're not speaking to each other, but she said that it's, like, fraught or something uh -huh. like that. That it's, like, not great. And I know Ginger wrote her. It's interesting because I didn't get into Ginger until the very end. And I was like, I know she, I think she's probably the most, like, because Jill still seems pretty traditional. Like, it seems like she's mm. still in, she didn't talk about God, but like, she seems pretty conservative still. She's just like, not down with her family. And Ginger seems a little bit more like she's well not out there. I don't know. You guys can, again, we are not Duggar experts. <laughs> we are experts on, I don't even think we're experts on religious trauma. We've just had a lot of it. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> we watched a docuseries. <laughs> That's we're here to talk about the trauma part and the Duggars are just like the vehicle in which mm -hmm. we're doing that with. Um, so they do get it a little bit into alongside. Uh, so there's Josh's trial, but then also there was a lawsuit that was brought against Bill Gothard, um, which ended up getting it was like several women signed it. We hear from some of the women that do uh, who were. Abused, abused and by and groomed by him, and there were a lot of stories that we won't necessarily get into because they're just pretty graphic of things that Bill did and how he groomed these women, and just like no stories, at least in the podcast of overt, like I had sex with him, but just like really weird advances, really bizarre behavior, which all makes sense from a man who n never got married and had children, and like yeah, he was so repressed and clearly just. A creep <laughs> like mm -hmm. they're yeah. just rubbing their hands during prayer time or staring at what like opening his eyes and staring at women during prayer leading them down a dark hallway to his office when he thinks everybody's gone and, you know, all these things so these women uh, many many years later through that uh through the website right i can't remember what it was called now. yeah recovering grace recovering grace through recovering grace kind of found each other and this is how the lawsuit started uh ends up getting dismissed. I think they said statute of limitations. It was mm. too, too long, but then he countersues because he's an asshole. I don't know what his premise was, but that was like damaging to his reputation or something right. like yeah. that. And these women then have to get up and like 
on the stand and testify against him, which I'm sure was deeply traumatizing Right for yeah. anyone out there who still thinks that like, ugh, like when women speak up against their abusers, like the cost to them is so great. I mean, when I, I'm not a woman, but when I uh, spoke up about the, when I made a report on the person that abused me, maybe you remember this. He uh, made he made a complaint against my counseling license, That's saying right. saying like Crispin is making things up about me because he's like sick in the head, basically like mentally unwell. So then I had to hire a lawyer and defend myself to my own board. Right. The and board you were, was like you reported your abuser because you found out he was working with children, mm-hmm, correct? Right, and you are yeah. a mandatory reporter, mm-hmm. so you were doing what exactly what you should do. Exactly. Yeah. And um. And yeah, there was totally retaliation um and it was it was rough it was months that i was like under investigation from my board they dropped it um and it was very clear they were like yeah this is like like you have all the evidence that shows you are just doing the most ethical thing um but that's it's really upsetting um and you mentioned that i'm not talking to my family and (laughs) that is part (laughs) of the reason um so often if not always um, speaking up about abuse comes at a cost to the person. And so, you know, if you ever hear anything like, well, why didn't they say something? There's lots of good reasons to not say something because it's, you know, it's that worry. Like, is this just going to make it worse? Like Jill even says, like, in order to get to that point where you leave, like you've already been through so much, like it has to get so bad to make it like worth it to not feel like it's not going to just continue to get worse. Right. And in some ways, I think she's still really, I mean, it still seems like she did not want that information in the public that she was abused. And I think that like, she doesn't say it, but I wonder, does that come from because it fractured, it changed your life. It fractured your family. Like the life that you knew is no longer possible. And even though if you really were to ask her, do you really want to go back and like live with your abuser and like be on like, I would imagine that the answer is no, but I'm sure it, it's all that you know and that rips you. Your family, that that is such, you live in a small bubble and then when that bubble's totally removed, like it's it's really scary. Yeah. So I feel and, for her. Yeah, and also, I mean, obviously like being sexually abused is such a personal experience and so just that idea of like, I don't want everyone to know. Like everyone should have a right to not have that made public. Um Abusers do not have that right um, that they have abused, but survivors totally should um, should be able to make that decision for themselves. And a lot of times the path to holding someone accountable often is just like so difficult for survivors. Yeah. And it seems especially in IVLP that there's very little accountability at most. They, you know, removed Bill from leadership. I never heard what happened to old Steve, but, you know, and assuming that Bill's doing it there, who else? Then there was a countersuit. Yep. That was then dropped. Um, or the countersuit went to trial and the. He lost, right? Yeah, he lost. The judge said, these are credible witnesses, which I. And, and other survivors showed up in court to support them, which um, was really beautiful to yeah. hear. So I just wanted to make sure that we wrapped up that part. Like, it, you know, it's, it's not like he was held accountable, but, uh, but the judge basically, that's a way of saying, like, yeah, you're your witness and your stories are credible 
um, but they couldn't take action because of the statute of limitations, not yeah. because what they were saying was untrue. And I think that that must have been really validating that that one girl in particular who had signed the lawsuit as Jane Doe three and ended up testifying like she was so emotional in every interview. You can tell she's still just an absolute wreck about it, which makes sense. And she was groomed from very young age. You know, he like handpicked her and. Um, but she said something about like she got her power back in that moment. And that was really important for her to be able to testify and say her truth about him and have it be believed. And I'm I'm really grateful she was even though they weren't, you know, they didn't win their suit. At least, you know, they were told like the people know it's the truth and that at least Bill isn't in power anymore. And, it, you know, it seems like IBLP made a couple of changes. So like ATI, the Advanced Training Institute, which is their homeschool curriculum, doesn't technically exist anymore. Um, it's like marketed as a Bible study that you can like buy materials, but they're like not making money selling. I mean, I'm sure homeschoolers are still buying it. So I don't know if that's a win. Que- question mark on that. Um, you know, kind of they were trying, they didn't wrap up a ton of IBLP stuff at the end of this. That's kind of like where, where we left it. Um, then we kind of get into the survivors. And I thought one point that was so interesting is like the whole point of all of this, the ATI, like the, the Bible study is that raising your kids was like to have kids who go out into the world, change the world for God. And they don't do bad things. Right. They don't have sex. They don't do drugs. They don't drink. They don't go to jail. The one woman is like, but I did. I, I, I went to jail. You know, she ends up uh, getting like this shoplifting habit. Like she's this compulsion. And again, when you repress people, it's going to come out in some ways. And so, so many stories. And, you know, this is a thing that I can speak that we all can speak to is sort of like, now that we're, now that I'm 41 years old and coming out of it, you know, it feels like you kind of realize like, oh crap, so much stuff that I was sheltered from. And yet here I like, we all grow up to believe what we like the world is big and we're going to find out the truth. And like that rainbow shirt and target isn't going to make your kid gay. Like your kid is either going to be gay or they're not. It doesn't matter if they're exposed to those things. Like it's just in them. And it's one of those things where it's, it's just wild to me. Like, and in fact, I would, I would posit that the more that you shelter them, the more that they're going to wild out when they are older and, dislike or resent you <laughs> and go to a lot of therapy. That's, that's where me and my siblings are at. So. <laughs> right. And that is, yeah. I mean, that seemed to be the common theme is like people, the survivors were like, yeah, I like, I had intense anxiety or I had a substance abuse, um, issue or whatever. And like, I ended up in therapy and like my therapist was like, Hey, like this, like, let's look at the impact of growing up like this on, on you, you know? And like so good that some of them are able to get to therapy and talk through those things. I'm sure their therapists were like, say, what? I mean, mm. like my therapist is not Christian and I think she was maybe raised vaguely Catholic. So she gets some of it. But there are some things that I like talked to her about and um, that she's always like, huh. <laughs> Yeah, and so then they start talking about, they actually finally bring up the word deconstruction. They mention it, several of these, and all the they show clips of all these survivors who are on TikTok. My favorite, I can't remember his name, like the guy with the slightly longer dark hair uh-huh. who's just like got quite the personality, like just yeah. a big, like I need to go find him on TikTok because he's like... He just has a funny way about him. I really, I really liked hearing from him, but I just, I, I did like that this episode focused on survivors. Like we didn't honestly get a whole lot more about Josh, like other than we talked about, you know, Anna, why she can't leave that he was found guilty and basically he's in jail. Like 
and that's and that's that. Um, and and rightfully so, they did get into earlier in the episode some of like what they found and all the things, and it was absolutely horrific. So yeah, like. I don't even believe in it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't really believe in like the carceral states, but yet people like Josh Jugger really test that. I'm like, well, I don't love jail, but he can go there. That's fine. Um, And I really love the one survivor like ended on like and she got really emotional talking about like her life right now. And I feel this like in my bones, like just saying like I made this life for me and no one told me that I could or couldn't. And that is like wildly powerful when you have been in a life where you didn't have any agency or any voice. And like sometimes like I look around my house and like I've got this funny little urban farm in Portland, Oregon with like eight million animals. And I am so proud of like the life that I've built. And I'm grateful that I got out like when I did at like I didn't <laughs> you know, I, I didn't ever want to be a missionary or a pastor. And so I feel like I've had like been a little out of evangelicalism for a while and it feels it feels really nice and I'm very grateful to have that freedom and it makes me sad watching this to see how many people don't and I'm just hoping that things like this docuseries allow people like take those steps to to leave and break the chains from their they're really like imprisoned to their religious systems right yeah yeah one of the things that i loved from one of the survivors the guy you were talking about with the goatee and the longer hair he uh, said he said like there's this like small voice in you that's been there all along that says like this is wrong and like just keep listening to that voice i really appreciated that a lot um because the truth is like no matter what like there is I believe this about folks that there is, has been a part of you that says like, this is wrong, you know, that is fighting for your sense of self in the world. Um, that part may have been really punished or suppressed or like disconnected, but it's been there all along. And so um, I think a lot of healing is getting reconnected with that part. So yeah. I really appreciated him saying that. Yeah. And what he said something like, he said, we were what they ultimately feared and all we had to do was talk, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like realizing, you know, that like all of us coming together, if we band together and we speak up, you know, like that is powerful. And that is, that is why they try to repress us. Right. That's Mm -hmm. the fear. That's why they don't want women teaching. That's why they want children to be obedient. Like they know that the power that we have and, um, yeah, so I I like that it ended on that note. Is there anything more that we need to? Well, I I wanted to end on a hopeful note, but <laughs> uh, one of the <laughs> last parts, um, you know, right before the credits roll, um, the uh, the Michelle and Jim Bob Duggar. Um, declined to comment on the series. Um, so there's some so there's some text that says. Uh, Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar declined to comment on the series, but through their representative, they said they love each of their children tremendously and always desire each to live their God-designed lives to the fullest, which um, I thought was just like worth like slowing down and looking at for a minute. What I hear there is like, we were talking about unconditional love earlier, right? And that is what evangelicalism and our parents often promise. And it's like there's this subtext of like, as long as you do it the way that God wants you to do it, which is the way I want you to do (laughs) it, 
Because I speak for God. Yes, exactly. And so it just was really like, I was thinking about um, me, you know, us raising our kids, um, DL and I, and also you, and just thinking about like, I don't, you know, of course, every parent has their values and their things that they're going to like push and not push, et cetera. But um, it's really lovely to be in a place where we don't have that anxiety or that control of like, my kid has to grow up a certain way. My God, my kid has to, you know, do great things for the Lord or be a good Christian kid or whatever it is like to just be able to see like who they are, get curious about who they are and who they're becoming. It has been a really beautiful part of parenting for me. Yeah, it's really true. And I, it's funny. I think Danielle said it like looking at my kiddo, it's like sometimes when I look at her, I think like, I'm so reminded of like, I think what I would have been like had I been given like more freedom and more gentleness and, and trust. And it's like kind of amazing just to see her like be her own person. Yeah. I mean, while we're on the topic, your husband said something a couple of years ago that has stuck with me for a while. What was that? I'm so curious. (laughs) I know. Um, uh, my eight, he's now eight, our eight year old, um, is just like a silly guy who dances around and just likes to make people laugh. And is just like, just really in touch with his body and, and music. And like, like I said, just like loves to dance. And, uh, Nick said, it says something like, oh, like when I, when I see him, you know, it's like who Crispin would have been as a kid, like if he'd had a more like supportive family where his like spirit wasn't squashed, something it's like so that. It's so true. Oh, <laughs> so I thought that his was spirit so isn't sweet. squashed. He's so, <laughs> in fact, our children are running around upstairs while we do this, getting into God knows what. So <laughs> <laughs> impatiently waiting for us to finish so they can get in the pool. It's true. So, well, maybe we need to. Wrap it up. How do we I mean, how do we tie a bow? We can't tie a bow on this. No. There's no bow tying. Right. I appreciate y'all listening along, whether it was like in addition to watching it or if it was instead of watching it. Um, but I just wanna I, I wanna say that there can be so much self-doubt that comes up around this. Um, you know, was it that bad? Like, did this really impact me? Um and you know, it's hard to look at those things, but, um, but I think it's important, um, just for the sake of yourself to say like, what was it like for me growing up and what are the ways it's impacted me and what are the ways that I need to heal? So that's my hope for y'all that are listening. Yeah. And cheers to all the cycle breakers, to the people who are out there and who are walking away from these toxic systems and who are finding a new way and who are building a life for themselves. Like I'm really, I'm really proud of y'all. Like it takes a lot of work and we are, we are still in the trenches. I think it'll be a lifelong work, but I'm grateful to have a community to do, to do it alongside. And I think we are just going to end with telling you sort of what our, what our podcast, yeah, what's on the docket yeah, next for say, us. Speaking of, speaking of communities that are coming out of evangelicalism, we could maybe share just a little bit about where each of our podcasts are going next. So what, what are y'all doing over on Holy Ghosting? Well, on Holy Ghosting, we are doing, um, we are doing weekly, uh, Pride Month episodes. We just had one. If you if you haven't been listening to that series, we just did one last week that was wild. It was uh, on transparent parenting trans and non-binary children. We interviewed a couple different moms and pretty 
intense but really good stuff and then we have an interview coming out with uh, Flamey Grant which is my favorite drag queen and the best drag queen name ever and then we also have uh, one with just a bunch of different people's stories about coming out in Christianity and how that went then we're taking a little break I think we'll do a bonus episode or two this summer and we're not totally we want to hear we're not totally sure what season three is going to be on but honestly it, we're thinking purity culture. We've done a couple episodes, but it just feels like people really, that's something that's resounding with people. So let us know if there's something you want us to talk about. We have a few different ideas for what season three is going to be, but we are going to take July off and maybe part of August because we've been at this a long time. Mm-hmm. I think we've been putting episodes out bi-weekly since January. So yeah, yeah, I definitely need those breaks. Um, we are at the prophetic imagination station starting in July. So y'all are taking a break. We're going to start up, um, with, uh, season 10 and we are going to be talking about the good place. So, uh, which is a TV show that aired a few years ago about the afterlife. So if you don't remember it, you can still listen along and we're going to be talking about episode by episode what's going on there. It's the best. I just started rewatching it the other day just cause I hadn't. In a minute. And I remember I haven't actually rewatched the last season because it was too like precious or something. Like I've rewatched the first couple seasons several times. But I remember watching the finale of The Good Place and being like, how did this one episode of television just teach me more about like the afterlife than I think my entire upbringing? <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, yeah, go listen to DL and Chris and talk about The Good Place. I think it'll even if you haven't seen the show, but you should see the show. Like, yeah. It's yeah, an it's on Netflix. Show. You can you have access probably, um, but yeah, we're gonna wrap up this series for now. This has been really fun to um, for the two of us to do this together. It's true, and who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll team up again. Uh, this has been fun. Crispin and I have never p- podcasted together. So. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> it's been great. Thanks again, y'all, for listening. We really appreciate you being here to talk about these really important topics. Hope that you get to continue to find places of sharing stories and healing. Mm-hmm.